Hello, I'm Hannah McInnes, and I had the pleasure of attending the Closters Forum in June to interview some of its participants for a podcast series to discuss the complex issue of plastic pollution. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations in order to tackle some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. My name is Carl Gustav Lundin. I come from the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and I'm the principal marine and polar scientist there. So we're really an institution that tries to take um, new science and the application of new technologies and bring it to conservation to improve the way we're managing natural resources. In this case, we're looking at the whole issue of plastic that's going into the ocean and what we can do to stem this tide of plastic that's uh, really affecting uh, the lives of so many animals and humans around the planet. What kind of new sciences are you experimenting with? So we've looked a lot at what's happening, for example, the flow of microplastics into the ocean. So here we have a, a real difficult situation in that if you're using the product the way you're supposed to, you actually have, for example, the abrasion of tires or you have fibers coming off your clothing, then you end up actually polluting the marine environment. So how can you as a consumer behave in a virtuous way in a situation where, in fact, if you're using the product the way you're supposed to, you're polluting? And that's a difficult problem to get around with. And one of the solutions, of course, is using less of it. Another solution would be to redesign it so it doesn't actually lose so much of the plastic. And another one, perhaps, would be looking at completely new materials that solve the same problem, but in a way that doesn't pollute the environment. So what kind of people, who are you working with brands in order to explain those ideas to them? So we're an umbrella organization for the conservation movement. So we actually help both governments who are our members as well as non-governmental organizations that are tackling these issues right now. But we're also then reaching out to industry and other partners around the world that want to find solutions. And how much do you think governments should and can do? How receptive are they to your solutions? Um, unlike some other environmental issues, I think uh, a lot of governments are working up to the fact that we have a problem here and they want to find solutions. So we're finding a good engagement with a lot of different partners. And, and so from that perspective, I think many countries are aware that they have a problem. Many of them are trying to find cost-effective solutions that won't disrupt uh, the lives of people who depend on plastic. And in one way or another, we all depend on plastic but also minimize the negative impacts, particularly for human health, but also the health of the ecosystems. So this morning in the panel, I noticed you asked a question, but the idea that was being put forward by some of the panelists was we need to focus on a world in which we get rid of plastics altogether, and recycling is just for now. What do you think of that? Plastics comes in very many different forms, and you know it has very different types of additives, and so... I think a blanket, you know, getting away from plastic seems highly unlikely in my lifetime, and probably you're a bit younger than me, but probably in your lifetime as well. So my assumption is we're going to have to deal with plastic one way or another. Now, there are good ways and there are bad ways of dealing with plastic, and I think we need to find the good ways, get away from some of the bad ones, and perhaps overall reduce the amount of plastic that we're using. We really need to look at things like ecotoxicology of plastic. You know, where does it actually end up in the... Uh, ecosystems that we depend on, you know, where does it up, end up in our bodies? And then 
are there going to be biological effects there that are significant? And, and if they are, how can we minimize those or eliminate them over time? And maybe we also need to look at our whole ocean plastic legacy, all the plastic we put out there in the ocean, which is going to be there. In some calculations, some types of plastics might be there for many centuries. Is there something we can do to speed up the decomposition of this plastic into benign elements that are sort of what it was made out of? And we're also very interested in the idea of using microbes to break down plastic. So we've already found microbes now in a number of waste dumps, and they are actually breaking down, they're producing enzymes that break down various types of plastics. Is there a way of engineering, taking these genes, putting them into microorganisms that live in the ocean, at the bottom of the ocean, to break down all of the plastic we put down there? So instead of it taking centuries, it might take decades. So that's a question we're very interested in right now. Do you think that is a possibility? I certainly do. I mean, we know evolution's already kicked in here. You know, whenever you have energy stored in nature, sooner or later something will try to get to it and, and use it. And even if plastic is a tough one to break down, uh, already evolution has found ways of doing it. Another thing we were talking about this morning was timelines. How fast, though, can this happen? Can it happen fast enough given what we're facing? Well, already some of these enzymes, you know, at, at 50 degrees or 60 degrees, they would be able to break down, um, you know, significant amounts of plastic in, in very short periods of time in terms of days or weeks. Um, so, yes, I think if we optimize the enzymes so they were able to operate at lower temperatures, which we find in nature, we might be able to do it within, you know, years rather than centuries. So you generally are on the optimistic side? Well, you know, I, I find take the view that if you see the world in pessimistic terms, it's sort of self-fulfilling. Um, I, I think it's very dangerous not to try to find solutions, but just dwell on the negative and, and you know, the doom and gloom. I did sense that there was a little bit of sort of apocalyptic, you know, we're all going to die type of attitude. And yes, eventually we're all going to die, but it's the journey of getting there that makes it worth it. So you've mentioned two or three fascinating solutions. You're obviously looking at lots. Are there any others you'd like to kind of tell listeners to this about? Well, if we look at tyres, which when it comes to uh, primary microplastics is one of the big sources, redesigning tyres in such a way that they actually have less abrasion, so we have less pollution coming out of them, is certainly doable. It's partly a cost question, and it's partly a design question, so I think that would be useful. I think certain types of clothing might be attractive, uh, and they might <laughs> work in a fashion sense, but they have some real issues associated with them like fleas or, you know, various of those type of things, which often are also recycled fibers coming from pet bottles or whatever, they're probably particularly damaging in the sense that they lose and shred a lot more fibers than you would do from other types of clothing that would still have polyester in them, for example, but still have much less impact. So even now, consumers, when they're choosing their clothing, should be very aware of what the materials are. Are there places out there you can buy more environmentally friendly clothing already? You know, I, I think there's a need for better labeling here. So that as a consumer, you understand what the potential risks or the impacts are from some of your choices. That always helps the consumer to make better choices. We've seen that when it comes to seafood. We've seen it when it comes to many other types of consumption. So if we can move down that path, I think 
you'll have many consumers who want to behave in a good way, but right now they don't know how to make those choices. So if we can help them, that's a good thing. Looking at washing machines, can we find ways of filtering out some of the textile fibers, for example, and making sure we can dispose of them in a proper manner? That might be another good way of reducing leakage of fibers. What's your main priority then now? We're also very interested in you know, what are the effects in nature and you know, how can we actually make sure we have healthy oceans and you know, recreate hope in the oceans. I work a lot on hope spots with Mission Blue and Sylvia Earle and I think you know, the, the whole concept of um, creating hope and giving people ways and means of getting there I think is very important to me. So, so that's also part of what we're trying to do, looking at the protection of the ocean. When you say bringing people hope, how? Well, it's sort of empowering and giving people a, a chance to uh, use their creativity to find the solutions that actually work. You know, 70 years ago we would have said plastic will never be a problem. You know, there was probably a few um, chemists uh, working on something and, you know, it seemed like it was a very, very distant future. Maybe 70 years from now people will say, well, you know, that was a parenthesis in, in the way we evolved. and. We moved on from it. So I, I, I think it's very difficult and dangerous to, to be too deterministic about these things. Uh, humans have a fantastic ability to adapt. I mean, that's where you find this on every single corner of this planet. And, you know, if we do it right, we will continue to be here for a long time. I can't end anywhere else but that. Thank you very much indeed. Thank My pleasure you. to be here.